Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Long Shot is a production of McClatchy Studios and iHeartRadio. Previously on Return Man. Booms it, it is coming to Duncan, a real threat. He has such great speed, quickness. He can break one in a close game and you win. How can you tell black people to be nonviolently and at the same time condone the sinning of white killers? I said, well, what are you going to call this book, Speedy? From the cotton fields to glory, he would have done some good things in life. I was told repeatedly during my reporting that Jim Duncan could be quite friendly and generous. You can imagine eight kids and a shotgun out. Having been raised in poverty, he knew how it felt to go hungry. You got people sleeping on the floor in that way. Do what you got to do. But in all the time I've looked into Jim's life, I've been struck by how few people said they really knew him that well. I, I just remember he was a lanky, tough guy. I do remember him as being a good guy, uh, tough and... Uh, uh, Jeff Beaver was the quarterback for the Capitol Colts team Jim played on. But, you know, I just <laughs> That always seemed a little odd. It's a word that came up more than once during interviews with his former teammates. He had his odd ways, but I just thought that everybody, you know, we all got a little odd ways. And hip on a great play by Jim Duncan. As long as he did what he needed to do in the field, that's all I was interested in. But Eddie Hinton was the Colts receiver who faced Jim every day in practice. He may say some things that didn't make sense to me, but, you know, who was I to say? Yeah. And you shake your head and you have to practice, then you go home. Yeah. And get ready for the next day. Look out, Duncan, at the Kansas City 49-yard line. I knew that Jim had had some personal problems, but hell, we all did. Bill Curry was the Colts center and team captain during Jim's time in Baltimore. I'm a really good NFL team. You don't have a bunch of really well-adjusted Sunday school guys. But no one knew just how far Jim would fall. Jim had some problems, but I didn't remember what they 
I did not get involved. From the Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio, this is Return Man. I'm Brett McCormick, and this is Part 3, The Burden. Nine seconds, here comes O'Brien, and the kick is good! Kimmel O'Brien with nine seconds! That 1971 offseason, Jim's life changed dramatically off the field. Over the summer, he visited a friend from his college days named Lawrence Acker, Duke Acker, as he was known. Your name had come up as a friend of his and wondered if you had like a little while to talk about him. Acker is in his 70s now and lives down in Greenville, South Carolina, not far from Lancaster. How did you guys meet? Was it in Greenville? You know what I'm talking about, right? Did you call him Butch, maybe, or Speedy? He declined to lend his voice to this podcast, but he told me that Jim was a devoted and committed friend. He said that even with all his football success, Jim turned his attention to life outside of sports. He and Acker decided they would finance a South Carolina franchise of a popular wig store Jim had seen in Baltimore. Duke knew two women in Greenville he thought would be perfect to run the business. So the plan was for the women to go to Baltimore for a little while to learn the ropes at the store. Then they'd return to open the new franchise in Greenville. I found a couple more photos that um, I thought you would want to see, and I actually emailed these to you uh, this morning. One of those women was 20-year-old Alice Marie Young. And over time, Jim began to look at her as more than just a business partner. Maryland State has um, a yearbook online. That was like, I think his sophomore year, so he was younger there. I thought it was a great picture of him, though. Alice declined to lend her voice to this podcast but we sat down together multiple times in the lobby of a hotel near Greenville, and we spoke there for nearly four hours. This is um, a Monday Night Football broadcast from like 1970 was on YouTube. They showed like who he was matched up against. I I just stopped it and took a picture. That was interesting. Alice is in her 70s now and still lives near Greenville. It's the hometown she thought she'd be going back to during the fall of 71 after the training in Baltimore was finished. But once she got to Charm City, Jim called an audible. He lived in Sutton Place in Baltimore. Um, Nice place to live. Jim asked her to stay and move in with him at his Sutton Place apartment in Baltimore. The two had only known each other for a few months, so it may have been an impulsive thing for Jim to ask. But Alice was just as taken with him and happy to be impulsive right back. By that fall of 71, a new NFL season was underway. Jim made plenty of money with the Colts, so Alice didn't have to work. She waited there in Baltimore for Jim to come home from practices and road games. One of the things that I've learned about him is that he compartmentalizes life. But even a love-struck 20-year-old couldn't help but notice Jim had a funny way of keeping her in the dark. Being the time that it was, it was easier for him to keep things to himself. You guys nowadays would have FaceTimed, text, email, whatever. Whatever his issues... It may not have helped that Jim's 1971 season began with sky-high expectations. The secondary, Jim Duncan at the right cornerback 35. And immediately fell to earth. Coming up hard, Jim Duncan from his right cornerback position. Jim missed almost the entire preseason with an ankle injury and never seemed to fully recover. Rams trailing the Baltimore Colts, 24 to 10. He started the first three games that year, but by November, Jim was clearly struggling. He looked lost trying to cover an L.A. Ram receiver in this Monday night game. Going deep. Touchdown. 
And Duncan is complaining it was out of bounds. Duncan is complaining because he wasn't covering. A news story from that year said Jim was beaten in one-on-one coverage six times during a close loss to the Cleveland Browns. Jim told the reporter, quote, After that, all the lines started coming together. Another alarming story from that season was reported by the Philadelphia Inquirer. One of Jim's teammates, Roy Hilton, told the Inquirer that the two got into an argument over a card game. That turned into a fistfight, which was surprising enough for a guy who was said to be so likable. Hilton told the paper that Jim left the room after getting punched. And when Hilton left soon after, Jim was waiting for him outside with a loaded gun. The Inquirer wrote that other Colts players took the gun from Jim before anything happened. No one I interviewed for this podcast could confirm that happened, and Hilton has passed away. But I asked Upton Bell about it. He's the Colts executive who helped draft both players. So you never got confirmation from Hilton on that? No, and I'd ask Eddie Hinton and... Boy's telling him it's true. Boy, Hilton was not a bullshitter. Yeah. Hilton was a man of few words. If Hilton said it, I believe it. If true, it would mean that by late 1971... Jim was in a dangerous place. We'll be right back. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, And then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. 
Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Throughout the rest of Jim's ugly 1971 football season, Alice remembers his behavior at home becoming increasingly odd. Sometimes it was little things, like the two sets of curtains he insisted on using to keep the bedroom pitch black. But Alice told me that sometimes the episodes were more frightening. It's another one of those things that, as much as you want to get into it, did he, like, become, like, abusive? She told me Jim was never abusive, but that he would sometimes grab her with a fire in his eyes that came out of nowhere. Clearly, the Colts noticed it, too. Late that 1971 season, team executives told Jim they were sending him to a doctor to be tested for something that could explain his looking lost on the field and his erratic behavior off of it. I talked to a CTE expert at um, Southern Cal, and you know there are 26 and 27-year-old NFL players that have died, but they were able to do the autopsy on the brain, and they found that they had CTE. Today, listeners will recognize similarities between Jim's worsening mental state and a neurodegenerative disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. Researchers at Boston University examined the brains of 111 deceased NFL players. They found signs of the disease CTE in 110. Jim's confusion on defense, his impulsiveness and aggressiveness at home, even light sensitivity. They're all symptoms broadly associated with CTE, which in recent years has become increasingly associated with repeated hits to the head that NFL players suffer. And Duncan is complaining it was out of bounds. Duncan is complaining because he wasn't covering. Since 1927, we've known that people exposed to many concussions develop brain changes. And those brain changes can lead them to be demented, just like someone with Alzheimer's disease, but at a much younger age. Jeff Viktorov is an associate professor of clinical neurology at the University of Southern California. He wrote a groundbreaking textbook on concussions and traumatic encephalopathy. Ten years ago, we knew that NFL football players or others who were exposed to multiple concussions during adulthood would be at risk for various kinds of bad brain change. In the last ten years, we now know that if a kid started playing football before age 12 and then joins the NFL, he's much more likely to suffer those brain changes. What that means, if you kind of do the math, is that almost every boy who plays football before age 12 has to experience some degree of permanent brain damage. High school football players typically have 500 brain-rattling experiences every season. Kansas City's Chiefs will kick it off. Your guy at age 26, he's had thousands. 
for the Baltimore coach, number 35, Jim Duncan, and the ball game is underway. Many of Duncan's former college and pro teammates told me horror stories about their own football-related head injuries. You know, they wasn't aware of those things back then. If he had any kind of head concussion or things like that, you put ice on it and go back on the field. Eddie Hinton, the Colts receiver Jim faced in practice, talked about getting hit so hard in a game that for the next few downs, he saw two footballs on every play. And the quarterback would throw the ball, I saw two, and I just reached and maybe I always seemed to grab the right one. Jim would have been especially vulnerable to head injuries. Jim Duncan, number 35, deep for Baltimore. He played offense, defense, and special teams from childhood through college. So he was on the field almost the entire game. In the NFL, he was best known for returning kickoffs, perhaps the game's most dangerous play. He hits it deep into the corner to Duncan. This time Duncan will come out with it. Tacklers from the opposing team charged 60 yards at full speed to hit him as hard as they could. Beyond the 25, Baltimore's ball, first and 10 at their own 27. Jim Duncan. It's almost guaranteed any child or adult who rattles his brain enough to say, whoa, I lost it there for a second, has had an injurious impact on the part of the brain that controls emotions. Your subject may have experienced significant changes in the ability to understand what was threatening and not threatening, what he should respond with violent behavior to, and all of that would be a normal, unexpected reaction to multiple concussions. No one can say for sure that Jim was suffering from CTE. Diagnosing that requires preserving the patient's brain within 24 hours of their death, and no one did that in Jim's case. CTE wasn't even a diagnosable condition until the early 2000s. But in hindsight, for Alice, that would explain a lot. It's completely reasonable. He was 26, he at least probably played 15 years. He may have played, you know, probably around there, 15 years of football. A lot of dings on your brain. Equipment is rudimentary. It pains me that there's no way to prove it, but I really feel there. And I mean, you've just given me even more. She told me, quote, that would explain his actions and the changes in him. I've heard from other women who have husbands who went through the same things, especially when the women say that they couldn't live with them anymore. They got to the point that they had to move away. Having gone through a lot of things with Jim, that is what I saw. All the evidence is there. The Baltimore Colts are the world professional football champions. Jim played in 11 games for the Colts that 71 season but he only returned three kicks that year, and he fumbled twice. The Colts never got an official diagnosis for what they thought was wrong with him, at least none that Alice heard. That offseason, in early 1972, the Colts traded Jim to the New Orleans Saints for an offensive lineman and draft picks. In a few months, Jim would report to training camp with the Saints, but in the meantime, he and Alice headed back to South Carolina. In late January 1972, Jim and Alice moved into one of the bedrooms of the house he built in Lancaster. His mother, Ellery Clyburn, lived there along with a handful of Jim's youngest brothers and sisters, including Moral Unitas Clyburn, Jim's youngest brother, who recently had been born. Carl Marl, who came off the bench following the injury to Johnny Unitas. He was the last of Jim's seven siblings, in honor of the greatest season of Jim's life and the two quarterbacks who'd helped engineer it. 
Jim chose the name for his youngest brother. It's a great feeling being on this side on the winning side, and uh, I just tickle think about it. That Orange Bowl in Miami must have felt farther away than ever. And Acker, Jim's partner in the wig business, told me, quote, Although I felt like I was his best friend, I don't know that I knew exactly where his head was all the time. For months, the two had forged ahead with trying to launch that wig shop. They'd renovated a storefront in a Greenville strip mall and bought inventory, paying for at least half of it with Jim's money. Exactly how much was spent is another piece of this story without an easy answer. It's also not clear Jim's family and friends understood what his financial situation really was, and that it probably wasn't as good as they thought. Defensively, for the Baltimore Colts, 35 Jim Duncan on the right side. As a taxi squad player in 1968, Jim was paid so little he needed a second job in the offseason. And the kick is good! The Colts lead 16-13! In Baltimore, Jim made about $15,000 a season in 1969, 1970, and 1971. That's about $100,000 a year in today's dollars. Jim also earned a $15,000 bonus for winning the 1970 Super Bowl. So in total, Jim was paid a little more than $60,000 by the Colts, or a max of about $400,000 in today's money. He was very free with his money. You know, at that time, he made like $100,000. One of my early conversations with Jim's brother Elroy underscored how generous Jim was and how much confusion there was about his finances. He acted most of the time like he was the daddy, you know, all the rest of us. uh, He took care of me when I was in college, you know, and he was in the pros. Whether Jim misled people about his money didn't have a firm grasp on it himself, or was just the subject of wishful thinking, he had already bought his mother a house. In Baltimore, Jim had lived in a high-rise on Park Avenue and bought a Lincoln Mark III luxury car. He'd even given away a prized possession for any football player, the championship ring each Colt received for winning the 1970 Super Bowl. That giant 14-carat gold ring had a nearly one-carat diamond on top, surrounded by a white gold horseshoe embedded with seven blue sapphires. It was probably worth about $2,000 at the time, and Alice said he just gave it to his aunt. I really wonder if he was having money problems, because I don't think a Super Bowl ring would disappear. I would hope it wouldn't. At the time, it was another way Alice was kept in the dark. He was able to keep things from his brother, his mom, from you, and I think he carried all of it. All of it. Jim gave the Lincoln Mark III to Elroy. And once Jim and Alice moved back to Lancaster, he bought a smaller canary yellow black top VW Bug. But that wig business seemed to drag Jim deeper into a financial hole. There were stories that I found that said he had lost a lot of money. Did Jim, like, invest a lot in that company? When I asked Acker about how much Jim might have lost, he told me, quote, I'm not a money-tight man, so I can't really say. He lost some money and I lost some money. But at one point in 1972, Jim told a reporter he'd lost as much as $60,000 in that business, which would have been nearly all of his NFL earnings right there. I don't want to be accusatory or anything. I mean, did you keep up with him much after the business didn't work out, or did you guys kind of just go your separate ways? There's a long history of pro athletes sinking money into failed businesses, 
often run by their friends. But when we spoke, Acker clearly disputed any implication he might have taken advantage of his friend. He told me, quote, I can tell you without a doubt, there wasn't a whole lot of money lost in the venture. Hell, I bought as many lunches and dinners as he did. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For James Edward Duncan and Alice Marie Young, April Fool's Day 1972 was no joke. Alice had become one of the few remaining rays of light in Jim's life as his football career started spiraling. By all accounts, 
Jim lavished gifts on his family and friends. Maybe Alice most of all. And she'll remember the red, white, and blue dress Jim gave her that spring for the rest of her life. That April 1st in Lancaster, they drove from the house Jim had built at the end of Isom Street to the courthouse at the center of town. Jim and Alice had known each other for less than a year. Alice was 21 years old, and Jim's life had become a whirlwind. Alice told me that just about the only person at the courthouse that day was the probate judge. Jim hadn't even told her why he'd asked her to wear that special dress, or why he'd brought her to the courthouse in the first place. Finally, Alice told me, Jim had simply said, we're going to get married today. As she remembers it, it wasn't really a question. No, I thought it would have a witness on it, but then. Alice showed me their marriage license. The witness appears to have been that judge's secretary. Oh, okay, Sandra, yeah, Sandra Estridge was your witness. <laughs> Romantic. As rough as the prior NFL season had been for Jim with the Colts, according to Alice, he was in no rush to report to the Gulf Coast. So you lived in Lancaster? So in 72, like after you got married? Yeah. They had been living on Isom Street with Jim's family for the previous few months, which would put a strain on any couple. But Jim's reluctance to play for the Saints, or maybe just play football anymore at all, became another source of ongoing arguments. Alice told me she was far less worried about Jim leaving football than she was about the two of them making a life together, someplace other than in that family home in Lancaster. But for Jim's family, his quitting the game would mean the end of those NFL paychecks, for him and the relatives he'd been supporting. Oh yeah, and, and you know, you think that your brother makes four times more than he makes. That's a simple misunderstanding. Alice told me she said to Jim, quote, You make up your mind what you want to do. Deep into the corner, Duncan will come out with it. It's fine with me whether you play football or not, but let it be your decision. The storm clouds were engulfing Jim's life, and a stunning end was approaching for more than just his NFL career. And on part four of Return Man. He made some kind of statement about, I just never realized having money would create so many problems. There's nothing bad that I could tell you about, but other than he just loved women. Elroy had told me that Jim had a kid. Did you know that? He was dating a few of the local white girls. It was something that some people were obviously threatened by. I'm working on a story. Uh, wondered, have, have you got some time to talk? I'm Brett McCormick. Return Man is a production of The Herald, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. It's produced by Matt Walsh, Kara Tabor, Kata Stevens, Rachel Wise, and Davin Coburn. The executive producer for iHeartRadio is Sean Titone. For lots more on this story, go to heraldonline.com slash returnman. If you have any additional information about Jim Duncan's life or death, email us at returnman at heraldonline.com. To continue supporting this kind of work, visit heraldonline.com slash podcasts and consider a digital subscription. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.